The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we are doing a little bit of a variety in that we're going to talk about the Iowa caucuses. We're going to talk about the shifting Overton window with regards to Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who's not to be confused with a certain reformer, unlike certain Gospel Coalition blogs uh, did that earlier this week. And then we're going to talk about some other topics that have come up. So Anthony is joining me tonight on this live stream to break down a number of topics. So how are you doing tonight? All is well. And I seemingly have broken the internet and all of discernment industry and with the Alistair Banks stories. So. Yes. So for those who don't know, I'm not the one who writes all the articles on Evangelical Dark Web. I write like eight out of 10 at least, but Every now and then Anthony writes one and he's written two in the last week that are like the top two of the top three articles in the last week. He's written uh, one of them on Jonathan Rumi and the other one on uh, Alistair Begg. He wrote the article. I did the uh, editing of the article and the video presentation of the article, but he actually wrote the article and found the story. So this is a team effort at Evangelical Dark Web and just want to highlight that. And yes, that story has broken the internet. And it's like the rare time where we've started something and then gotten much of the credit for it at Evangelical Dark Web. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting experience. And it wasn't me who wrote it. But yeah, we do a lot of coverage like this regularly. And this time it you know, kind of set off an entire uh, news cycle in christian media that's going to that's not even done yet i i'm i would back in uh i, I would bet a lot of money that christian post is going to cover this controversy now and they're they're generally like four or five days behind so i'm getting comments that uh he started late uh no he didn't so said nine o'clock when i hit the start button and then more Anthony, less Ray. Wow. Uh, feeling the love already, Yellow Moth. So we're going to interact with a lot of chat tonight because we're going to have a fun show. Uh, going to start breaking down the Iowa caucuses. But first, I want to let you know, you can support Evangelical Dark Web at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's our Patreon-like system. Uh, and you get more articles and you get to direct some of the research efforts at Evangelical Dark Web as a benefit and thank you for doing so. And uh, we do have an upcoming book, uh, Winning Not Winsome, Ten Commandments of, of Spiritual Warfare. And, you know, certain tier levels get that copy sent to them. But anyway, uh, we're going to start off with the Iowa caucuses. I really only have two takeaways from this. and. They're going to be pretty, uh, you know, provocative, 
to say the least. But keep in mind, I have experience working on campaigns. I have run for office before. And I can tell you a thing or two about primaries that are going to be pretty prejudiced. So let's just break down the two things. One, um, this was an unmitigated disaster for Ron DeSantis. I don't think there's any ifs, ands, or buts. I endorsed Ron DeSantis earlier this week officially on Evangelical Dark Web, just to, you know, in, in an article and video. Even though I've said as much in the past who I've supported and... You know, I've been pretty open about that. I just decided to make it official before any voting starts because there's no courage in waiting. Uh, now, how far would you go in unmitigated disaster? Well, we'll, we'll break the points down. Okay. So one, it was an unmitigated disaster for Ron DeSantis. There, I, I like to win. Uh, there's no win to be found in the Iowa caucuses results for him. He lost badly. And number two, it's just boomers being boomers. This really has nothing to do with Ron DeSantis as a candidate and has everything to do with the boomer cons and the generation of boomers that really loves Donald Trump. I might push back a little bit on that. But... No, I, I do think it's there's a segment of Trump people who are younger that kind of get it. But if we're talking about boomers who vote in primaries, they don't get it. Oh, I'm not going to argue that the people aren't the problem or that the people aren't. Yes, I, I'd say the people are the problem but, 100%. But I, I do think, I mean, the man in the mirror, ha the man has to look at himself in the mirror and wonder what he did wrong. And DeSantis did make a lot of mistakes. He didn't quite commit to a message that would translate from a governor to the governorship in Tallahassee to the White House. Like, I don't, like, again, a lot of the benefits that people are already receiving from Ron DeSantis taking up fights in Florida. And, you know, obviously he had the, like his ta primary tactic was just to pivot to policy and pivot to his record. But again, your record in the minor leagues needs to be able to translate into the majors. And to some extent, he's able to convey that, but not necessarily on everything that matters. The other thing I think he did was, you know, he was kind of following Nikki Haley to be president of Israel and his foreign policy presentation was a disaster. And that's because those debates asked a lot of questions about foreign policy and he's taking bullets that Donald Trump's not taking on foreign policy. I kind of see where you're coming from, but here's the thing. There are some miscalculations that Ron DeSantis made. One of them is that because he had a lot of donors in the beginning, when the donors realized that he was serious about being socially conservative, they left him. You know, that that's the Republican Party base. You look at the Koch brothers and a lot of mega donors, they're liberals in the Republican Party. And, but that's Nikki Haley. They, but that's Nikki no, Haley. No, but they started out with Ron and went to yeah. Haley. So that that was something that he miscalculated on. He thought voters would be a lot more angry about COVID and Trump. Well, he miscalculated on that. You saw that in 2022, though. That voters were not angry enough about COVID. And again, how do you how do your voters get angry about COVID when they all got the 80 percent of American adults got the jab? Then they have to, that's basically saying, yeah, you got to admit that you messed up and that you injected poison into your arm. And a lot of those are Republicans. And again, DeSantis also, you know, got the J and J to, I guess, one and done it. So, At mean, least he promoted the least harmful uh, of the four. So 
with that said, the other thing is that people view Trump as an incumbent, rightly or wrongly. And here's here's where I'm going to go back at the boomers. They always vote for incumbents in primaries. Why do you think 92% of incumbents get reelected or whatever the statistic is? Because in primaries, better candidates lose. And usually the establishment or whoever uh, the incumbent is wins a primary. So that has very little to do with Trump v. DeSantis. That just has to do with boomer voting habits. I've seen this as a candidate. They vote for incumbents. They vote for who they're told to vote for. They vote for establishment. The young people vote anti-establishment. So one thing that's been said is that, oh, Ron DeSantis is a perfect candidate for 20 years ago. And you look at these stats, complete opposite is true. Donald Trump won the boomers 56%. Second place was Nikki Haley at 24%. So he more than doubled her with the boomer con vote. And then DeSantis had 17% of that. That means his issue, and I've said this all along, his issue is with the boomer cons. He's weakest with the boomer cons. He needs to win to the boomer cons. Well, that's why I thinking. That's why I thought he went a little hard on the Israel messaging because boomer cons love Israel. So but I actually saw his, with that. his polls dropped in October. And why do you think that is? I'm Israel, I, or I, would, I mean, that, given that that was the primary, or do you uh, think that Nikki Haley just scarfed up the Zionist vote even harder? Well, she was doing some scarfing the way Kamala Harris and you know, oh, for with sure Willie, with Willie Brown. Now that's, but and again, you can't out debase yourself against Nikki Haley when it comes to a, a foreign conflict, right? And I don't think he did. So that's well, he did when you combine it with the Harvard stuff and a lot of the other news cycles. Again, I have an article in the queue about you know the need for identity politics, and I don't think. Ron DeSantis connected with people on an identitarian level. Instead, he was very much just, you know, pan doing Chris Rufo conservatism and offering uh, affirmative action to Jewish students at Florida. Now, University. to be fair, he worded that terribly, but the policy does extend to Christians also. But yeah, not a fan of how it was worded. Well, marketed. Or marketed. Both are not very good. So... But on the opposite end of the spectrum, DeSantis won an age demo, and that's well, but 17 does, to 29 years. Does he win an age demo with uh, Ramaswamy out of the race? Yeah, he won the. No, no. If you take Ramaswamy's 21 percent, would he? Does, does Ramis, Ramaswamy's 21 percent uh, leave? Does he still win that? Yes, I think he still wins that. Well, okay, fair, fair enough. These right, are young right. people that closer. know. Who, these are young people who know who Trump is and decided against him anyway. But it These are old people closer. who didn't know who Ramaswamy is or just are so devoted to Trump. Only 3% of boomers in this race voted Trump. And we have Ramaswamy, uh, young people, 21%. That's I'm, 14 points less than DeSantis. Which I'm going to surprise, but I guess Ramaswamy wasn't on Fox News enough to get him a lot of that, that boomer vote. So, and then when you go with uh, the 30 to 44 
age group, DeSantis drops to 27%, Trump drops to 41%. So the idea that DeSantis's message is like 20 years in the past is just wrong. It's actually quite the opposite because he's actually the one who's getting the votes of people who have a future and Trump is dominating the old people vote. But because old people dominate primaries, Ron DeSantis is not winning the people who show up on game day. And that pretty much means I don't know if he can win a race in this. It Can he win a state in this primary cycle? I would say I'm, at this point, no. And I would say DeSantis. I think it will highly depend on what the median age of a state is or if he can win at a convention level. Maybe he can win a thing like Guam or something like that. But I think very unlikely he can pull it off. But here's my advice, because I don't think this speaks poorly to DeSantis as a candidate. I think he can just. Here, here would be my advice to DeSantis. Stay in the race, register in all 50 states and the territories that vote thereof. Collect as many delegates as he can. And see what happens at convention. But re-rack for 2028. These people aren't saying that they hate you. They just love Trump that much. But at the end of the day, where my analysis could easily go wrong is that if Trump loses in 2024, what is to stop him from running in 2028? I mean, they're the only really... Jail, yeah, right? Jail or death, but... Oh, okay, or, barring those two things, which I think possibly, is a pretty high bar. Possibly no money, but nah, people people will give them money. Uh, I think. Although, how, are his fundraising numbers good? Because I don't think I I have not heard that they're good. I know, uh, but he didn't spend as much, nearly as much as other candidates. I mean, again, he probably doesn't need to spend as much money on his primary fight. Again, I don't think. DeSantis is going to win another state. And a lot of GOP primaries, I think, is winner takes all. A lot of them are. And again, I would say DeSantis, for sake of self-respect, should drop out. And there's no, there. it's only diminishing returns to continue in the race. I mean, it's, it's it you comes think that down this to- could be a Reagan and Ford type scenario. How do you mean? Uh, So Reagan ran in 1976, but the Republican Party ultimately had Ford. But Reagan was then the heir apparent in 2020 or in 1980. I mean, yeah, I mean, at this point, but it comes down to having self-respect. I don't think you gain self-respect by continuing to be in a race. You're going to if especially if you come in third in New Hampshire, not even second. And then you take another beat down in South Carolina. I mean, again, South Carolina just voted to table a bill or table an amendment that would have made child mutilation a a felony. So, yeah, I mean, South Carolina is not a serious state. Neither is New Hampshire, Iowa. I thought they were a serious state, but and so we've kind of covered one aspect of my analysis here. One was that DeSantis can't win the boomer cons whatsoever and i don't think he can change that so that's part one of my analysis part two is trump can't win with this low turnout he cannot win in november if the turnout's going to be this low 
I mean, I don't mind. 2020 was a high turnout election. 2016 was a high turnout election. We have not had high turnout on the Republican Party since 2020. I mean, I don't want to judge a turnout based on Iowa alone. I think that's a there's a lot of, I guess, anomalies that happen with turnout given the whole weather. Well, situation. here here's the thing: is the weather does the weather? Um, Trump still won with the weather handily, and perhaps that kept DeSantis's voters at home. Well, I think, yeah, but the weather is the only is kind of the excuse or it's the cover for what otherwise would have been a low turnout election. Well, How about we obviously this point is going this point is going to be observed over a period of time. Both my points are, but I don't think DeSantis can win the boomer cons. And I think every turn I think the primary is gonna have very low turnout this cycle. And I think I was just a start. I mean, yeah, you could be right on the turnout. I just think it's too soon to call it. I mean, New I, Hampshire, I'm calling it. New Hampshire. I'm calling it. Even with Democrats crossing over into the Republican Party, which I don't think the, the turnout was at two, like below 2008 levels in Iowa. Even with Democrat crossover, which again, I, again, I don't buy the notion that people are rapidly crossing over for national. Well, I think that's believable in Iowa because that's what Democrats do when they cannot win. They infiltrate the Republican Party. They do that where I live. Well, yeah, they, and... they do that for local elections. They don't necessarily, they might not be as enthralled to do that one. What else have they got going on in Iowa? Oh, not a warm fireplace and a zero degree day. So in New Hampshire, it's an open primary maybe the turnout's higher but i think in south carolina we get very low turnout and incumbents or establishment in which case i would argue trump is a little bit of both they win in low turnout 100% and one generation votes for incumbents at alarming rates and they dominate the Republican primaries. So those are my analysis on what is going to go on in this primary. And I don't know if we'll really have much to talk about moving forward. So uh, for most and Black Bear says Trump on a ballot will give you high turnout. This is an El Nino year. Weather is whack. Plus, people do not think Trump is going to lose. I do think Trump is going to lose. Uh that's just I'm 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 very pessimistic on this election cycle because I don't see a path in which Trump can win the electoral college, and no one's ever shown me a path that's viable that he can win the electoral college. I don't see him winning Pennsylvania or Michigan. Both those states have gone Democrat since, and then you have the Democrat senator in John Fetterman saying very based things so he's not exactly killing the democrat party in in uh pennsylvania right now but he's not on the ballot he's not on the ballot but you you think he's going to campaign for with trump no so uh joe biden spent a lot of energy in pennsylvania last time as or at least his campaign did and then if we're just talking about the primary Maybe 
all of Trump's people showed up and none of DeSantis's people showed up on game day. Uh, again, I don't. I I just think at the end of the day, the po- the whole polls are wrong. Narrative it was just a, you know, most of them were outside the margin of error on the results. So I don't think it's completely fair to say. Well, the idea uh, that Trump didn't actually have this indomitable lead like he was boasting about or that the Trump campaign was overly concerned about their polls, not necessarily reflecting reality. Again, I think that was a lot of hopium. And to to some extent, I don't think we should discount polls just yet, not to say we should relish in them, but. I mean, again, I, I flipped on the polling narrative when I saw like Arn McIntyre not basically say, hey, the polls don't show it. And, you know, he just kind of accepted the polls as somewhat legitimate. And again, I know on the previous live streams, we talked about whether the debate, not boycotting the debates would be a good strategy for Trump. But that was predicated on whether DeSantis's poll numbers would improve from the debates. And that just didn't happen. Yeah. And perhaps it was never going to happen. I tr- I truly think that there's no way DeSantis could have won with this voter demographic. It, he had no in with the boomer cons and that was it. That was, but again, I don't it was game it, over for him. I don't think his campaign tried or message properly either. I, so again, I do think the man he didn't go boomer con enough or pretty much. He didn't go white working class enough. I'm not sure. And again, he, I, I, I'm not he sure did these about things that. as as his governor as governor on his reelection campaign. Again, I I kind of detailed. It's like wow, if you look at how he ran his reelection campaign and the social issues he took up, it's like wow, this was the guy. And then, but his general election campaign was not that. So I don't think he. I don't think his messaging was good. And even if the demographic was a hard sell or a hard pass. So even if he had a very Herculean task of winning over the boomer cons, I don't think his messaging was good. Uh, I'm at the point where I don't think it matters. No, I'm not saying it matters. Ultimately, in, I don't in think he, result, I don't think he had a message that could have resonated with the boomer cons. No, but he he probably did not. But Vivek Ramaswamy basically copied Trump's message. Only got three percent with the, the boomer problem cons. is with Vivek, you can't turn the hoe into a housewife, and that's you know Vivek. The boomers aren't going to marry Vivek. They're not putting a ring on him. I I'm just saying, like messaging wise, what could he have done? And I don't think there's anything he could have done. That's that's my read on the situation. I don't think he could win based on who votes in Republican primaries against Trump. Well, and I think he should just re-rack the campaign in 2028. Yeah, and I think if he re-racks it, he would probably be the front runner. Again, this is why bowing out no, now is about saving self-respect. That I you're not going to humiliate. Again, the longer you stay in, the more likely it is you'll, you might humiliate yourself and have some kind of bad moment. But at so the same your time, your conscience moment, like a Trump, cruise. Trump could pass away or end up in jail. And who knows how that would change the primary process. If he has over 15 percent of the delegates, that gives him a very good shot at some convention shenanigans. That would be my case for staying in. 
I mean, I don't know what ballot requirements he would have regardless. I mean, um, or but what Stacey still needs to be on a ballot in. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't think Monday was not a good day for his campaign. No. And he's not going to do well in New Hampshire because that's a su- super liberal state. And they have an open primary with Democrats voting in as well. So we can't even get the uh, independent vote in that state. And then South Carolina's the, you know, fakest red state in the union. And then you have Nikki Haley coming from South Carolina. So his next race with a chance is a mano y mano with Donald Trump in Nevada. So I it's gonna be a long time between New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada, but he should probably focus most of his time on Nevada. See if he can win a one-on-one. It could happen because Trump barely won majority of people in Iowa. Yeah, like he got over 50% of the vote, but maybe in Nevada with more agreeable weather, things could be different. I, I, it'd be an interesting experiment because that's going to be a one-on-one primary because Nikki Haley's not on the ballot in Nevada. She's not a serious candidate. She's not running for president. She's running. I would, I actually agree with Glenn Beck for once and that she's running to be Trump's VP. I actually think that's going to happen now. No, no, I'm not buying the VP. It's a dowry. It's game of Thrones. Like I I understand. He's marrying the, the ugly princess to get the dowry. I mean, I understand the, so he's going to go Ramsey Bolton marrying Walda Frey. I understand the logic that she's, she comes with money and obviously, you know, there's marriages, you know, arranged marriage and all that with the Indian candidate have to make the pun. But uh, again, I don't see it again, though. I did have this thought. I guess hey, Trump is not dumb with choosing his vice presidential candidate. I did have this thought though. Just but like, we he... all think he's going to be dumb this time around and choose someone like Vivek who Vivek offers nothing on the electoral college for Donald Trump, right? Yeah, I mean, he's from, I mean, he's already Ohio. from Ohio. Trump's going to win Ohio. But he's not relevant in Ohio politics, so no. it doesn't work there. Uh, Tim I mean, Scott, I would maybe. Like, I would like to see him but, not do token, not do woman. Kevin Stitt. You get some who's guy. Who's endorsed DeSantis. Yeah, but he's not necessarily as active as like Massey or Chip Roy on the DeSantis front. But again, he's a guy that would help him with energy policy. He would be almost Mike Pensian in a play for those white evangelicals. He's, I guess, I don't say boring, but, you know, he could help him. I mean, logistically, he could help him a lot in Pennsylvania or Michigan. A lot of those, like, you know, Pennsylvania with a lot of the oil and stuff and natural gas in Pennsylvania. So that, again, there's a lot of states like Kevin Stitt would help. Trump out, but you know, I'm just going to say this out there, just throw it into the ether. Maybe that'll get picked up and become a national headline. Yeah. I think he's going to do Haley and here's why the dowry is too much to uh, encompass. Uh, If you look at 2016, he chose Mike Pence because Mike Pence was a sure way to sure up the evangelical voting block and turn out the base. It worked. The calculation worked, even though Mike Pence is, Let's let's be real. I don't consider his faith to be all that genuine because faith without works is dead. And 
his work seemed pretty uh, unfamiliar or evil in the case of how he handled COVID. So, Nikki Haley offers a chance to assure his the moderate Republican and liberal Republicans. There really aren't moderate Republicans. They're just liberals. But that's who Donald Trump, if he realizes who he needs to win in, in 2024, he's going to choose Haley. And that's just... I think that's going to be a complete disaster. I don't think it's going to work for him very well, but that's who I see him choosing. I don't think there's a, I think it's a serious conversation in Trump world. Uh, that's, that's my take. I mean, I, I don't buy it just, I don't buy it right now. Cause again, obviously since a lot of DeSantis people are kind of running that story, I do think it's almost like a reverse psychology where Trump will not do it just at a spike. But, or he'll maybe, or maybe, I don't, again, I don't, I don't buy the story overall. I mean, I don't think Trump's VP conversation is, I guess, I, again, I don't, I just don't think it's Nikki Haley. And I don't know if the speculation on that is as serious as people have made it out to be. Again, Trump is a, you know, no one in Trump world's denying it though. I think, Don, I think Don Jr. did. I've heard other things. So but, I mean, obviously Trump is, I mean, literally the definition of mercurial. So again, just to re-rack or re-summarize what my points were. One is DeSantis can't win with the boomer con. He, he hasn't been, he can't win the boomer cons over, which spells doom for his campaign on a primary state by state basis. Maybe that changes if Trump is convicted of the felony. Kind of don't think it will. And then it. number two. Holes on the felony thing. And the second point is that I don't think low turnout is a good omen for Trump's election chances in November. I think the GOP has a massive turnout issue right now. And they need to do something about that. Trump needs to figure that out. Maybe he will. Well, I mean, but we got that is what they need to uh, figure out before November. To Trump's advantage. I mean, the best thing that's going for him is he's not on social media or large presence on social media so you don't have to like a lot of people just said they want trump without twitter and then they can just you know they can deal with it and that's kind of what you're getting from trump right now that actually helps him a lot in a general election where he becomes almost the state the stability candidate per se to those weak swing voters and it almost resets the the dial to 2019 going into that 2020 cycle i guess my question is who's going to show up for a trump versus biden rematch i think a lot of people are going to stay at home on that yeah i, I think so too but i do think that might... and that spells victory for biden uh i don't know it because i think again who's staying i mean again it depends on who's staying home if a lot of black people are staying home in philadelphia and let's just say that their names are not being submitted on a ballot in a mailbox somewhere then that spells doom for biden because again, a lot of those people, especially in those inner cities, they don't think their lives are improving. You know, the hood pass that Biden's accumulated over uh, decades, despite his uh, various color commentaries. If that goes away, that diminishes, you know, again, I mean, it's so easy to message to black people that, hey, the reason your rent's gone up is because uh, Joe Biden. But uh, the reason your car repairs are more expensive is Joe Biden. You're trying to sell conservative politics to a matriarchal culture. That's never yeah. going to work. I mean, you yeah. got to break the matriarchy. 
in black culture if you want to win black people. Well, you got to win. You got to project masculinity. There's your hard pill to swallow, Matt gets. You got to you got to uh, pull away the black men. Like, and DeSantis actually did some sort of. He did. He had like a seven point differential between black. Gee, men. if only we could have him in a in a national election because I mean, well, Trump I think got fifteen percent. So I mean, the, I, the, the 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 gap is there. It just needs to be really. You just need to widen it. I mean, you can't do worse with black women. Good news is. <laughs> That's the good news. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm contrary to what Glenn Beck, conservative media, and Matt Gates are saying. Yeah, we're not going to flip a matriarchal culture red. That's not going to well, happen. I would just say if you project masculinity, you'll get male voters of other demographics and pull them in. I agree. I agree. But you have to project masculinity. It's never going to work with Tudor Dixon in Michigan, it's never going to work with Terry Lake. Lake in Arizona. It has to be a man that does it. And no, Carrie Lake is not a viable VP choice. She's held in zero office. She brings zero She's also votes to the table. To Senate seat, so I don't see her ducking okay. out of one. Yeah, that's right. She is running for Senate. And then uh, Blake Masters is running for Congress. Uh, so Arizona could be a state to watch. But if she loses that Senate race, even though it's a three-man race, I'm just saying, Carrie Lake is a terrible candidate this time around. And I think she could be the one person that could screw up a three-party race in a Republicans, in a race that's easily flippable for Republicans. So, uh, we do have another topic to move on to, unless you have, what, what any, you have any parting analysis on Iowa? Because I, I made my points clear, and there's only two very long points, but two points nonetheless. I mean, I made the, uh, the point that, again, I don't think DeSantis' presidential campaign was up to stuff, even even without the the whole boomer, I guess. Again, I don't think Trump made the uh, – DeSantis made a good sales pitch at all for his presidential message. I don't know. Maybe it's just the altus energy he gives out. Uh, but you know, gets, gets it done. Well, again, I just don't think he said, Hey, uh, you white voter, white evangelical voter, I'm here to help you. I'm here to white. He uh, didn't you... pander hard enough. Like, uh, Tim Scott did. And that didn't work. It, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough job running for office. So, all right. Uh, let's talk MLK. And this has been pretty interesting to follow. Uh, conservative media has definitely been shifting its views on Martin Luther King Jr. for a few years now. A few years ago, I used to see like obligatory MLK Day articles from like dissenter or pulpit and pen protestia, basically talking about, you know, how he's a heretic and all that pretty obvious stuff. Right. But you don't hear that come up in conservative media a whole lot. But you have started to hear that in the last few years. Last year, you saw uh, Jason Whitlock take aim at MLK, specifically using Virgil Walker, which I know the guy's an anti-Christian nationalist, but he was pretty good on this G3 issue. Is, I mean, yeah, all the crap that uh, against G3. And surprisingly, they're actually, you know, very good on this issue. So, you know, give G3 some love. And... You saw that John Doyle did a video on MLK last year, if I recall. What? Notorious video. A very notorious video. So MLK has definitely taken some shots in conservative media. 
I again, I do believe it started with discernment ministries calling him a heretic and just getting that label out there. And then it took people actually reading what MLK wrote. I, I hearken back to high school where they try to do like the world house thing. And this was like an, and the sales pitch was, this was MLK's idea. I'm like, this idea sucks. <laughs> I don't care if it's his idea. It's not a good idea. It's just clearly flawed. You can't get cultures to just like each other uh, and recognize that they have common interests when they have completely disparate values. So it was no, I mean, you can get them to like each other, just not when they're actually living in the same space. Oh, yeah. Or, so this year you've definitely got some uh, controversy or not controversy, but you got some renewed scrutiny on MLK. Um, this article from Jason Whitlock. Uh, Martin Blaise Luther. Has been, and let's just take a, a break real quick. Blaze has been back and forth on this issue. You have a couple people absolutely slurping MLK, including Delano Squires, who is, I guess, with Whitlock somewhat. And then, yeah, Whitlock being a little bit more critical. But yeah, Blaze is like one minute, they're just full-blown neocon. The other, it's like, whoa. And then Martin Luther King Day celebrates the destruction of the black church. And then the, and the subtitle is actually even more base. The black matriarchy is a new religion of black Christianity in the Fulton County district. Attorney Fanny Willis is its new face. So that, it, it's a pretty good article. Uh, and again, it just highlights uh, where conservative media is headed. And we also have more. And here we go with uh, Charlie Kirk. We've talked a lot about Charlie Kirk and yeah, this would be Delano. He's a very he's on a very interesting journey. Charlie Kirk is literally the definition of the Everton window. He is uh, like if you want to gauge who who is the Everton window in conservative media, it is Charlie Kirk. If he's talking about it, that means it's it, that means the floodgates are opened. Yes, because Charlie Kirk is like the Zionist uh, Israel first guy. And then earlier this year, he was talking, he was trying to do the Winston Churchill triangulation. If we can just get Jews to embrace Zionism, they won't embrace Bolshevism. Didn't work uh, for Winston Churchill, but he's going to make it work this time. But he at least went there. That's a major shift in the Overton window for Charlie Kirk. But the shift continues. And this video comes from Media Matters recording Charlie Kirk. So we know we got the good clip. Uh, because Media Matters is just great for uh, conservative media. Go back and uh, uh, my favorite speech by MLK is actually the one he delivers after Rosa Parks gets arrested. Uh, so it's the opening of the Montgomery bus boycott. That's what makes him a national figure. And it's an amazing speech compared to anything you would hear from a public figure today. And it's stuff we would agree with. And I think even King agreed with it strongly at that time. He gets more left wing over time. Um, in that in one, you're years. saying, if we're wrong that you know segreg the segregation is evil, that they can't be arresting us for wanting to have a seat on the bus. If we are wrong, the Supreme Court of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, the Constitution of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, God Almighty is wrong. If we are wrong, Jesus of Nazareth was just a utopian dreamer who did not come down from heaven. He, I might be missing a line or two there, but you know that's a good sentiment, and he. That's not a good sentiment. 
I mean, yeah. Miss me with that. You're okay. miss me with you trying to make your social cause uh the contingency on which God is to be tested. Miss me with that. Well, and throw in Zionism as well, because <clears throat> that needs to be thrown under the bus with that because they do the same thing. Um hey, Bibi Netanyahu said that he's fighting darkness. Is that the end of the quote? I don't know. Some more. Oh yeah, it's our fight. Yes, and something like that. It's our fight. Um, he he even says we should be thankful, even as we protest. We are in America. We have the right to protest. This is our constitutional liberty, and we couldn't do this if we were in the Soviet Union. We couldn't do this if we were in a communist country. And he says that in the speech. It's a great speech, and he delivers it amazingly. Um, so he's an enormously talented communicator. Even if he has to steal some of the ideas that he says in this or that speech, he delivers it super well. And like I said before, nonviolent, all of that's very admirable. Now, uh, now but I want to get into that for a second. For sure. So there this, this was though, an indifference at times to some unacceptable mass rioting and murdering, right? For sure, for sure. So he gets the civil rights movement sort of gets uh, it gets more violent kind of quickly actually in the grand scheme of things in 64 you have the civil rights act of 64 in 65 you have the voting rights act but then the second half of the 60s is a you know a lot of really bad rioting much worse than we had in 2020 uh the detroit riots in uh, i believe summer of 67 43 people die in that that's more than died uh in any of the riots uh you know in actual rioting stuff as opposed to just murders because it was mayhem and such but um you know, dozens of people die there. Dozens of people die in Newark. Uh, you have thousands of buildings getting burned down all over the country. Which led to a very crappy movie called The Many Saints of Newark, by the way. That's the worst thing to come out of that, right? Well, it's funny because, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a great day when I, I start reading The Age of Entitlement and we're doing this exact uh, thing. And the, the chapter on race actually goes into all of this, how, yeah, I quickly, like the civil rights, rights movement was largely riots and violence. That was basically the MO that, that, oh, that the, I guess the black attitude at the time was to view it as a revolution. And they weren't necessarily in, interested in like the constitutional rights so much as the whole argument of human rights. But yeah, I mean, MLK didn't even view himself so much as an American in 1967. Because, I mean, he basically said, uh, like, like, there's an actual quote from MLK. And, you know, he, you know, he calls America the greatest purveyor of violence, the cruel irony of watching the Negro and white boy on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schools. Um, so we watched them in brutal solidarity, burning the huts of poor villages, but we realized that they would hardly live on the same block in Chicago. So, I mean, yeah, he was very anti-American, like basically leading into his death. I mean, the whole idea that the public wanted civil rights legislation is kind of a lie and a myth. I mean, unsurprising Congress passing laws against the American interest. But I mean, we, yeah, Civil Rights Act has come under a lot of scrutiny because it basically, A.D. Robles said, what are your top three reasons for opposing the Civil Rights Act? And I replied, number one, D, number two, E, and number three, I. Yeah, I mean, and you got a lot, a lot of people, Delano Squire is one of them, that's trying to say that that movement in the 60s is not the 
result uh, or is not the forerunner to the DEI agenda, diversity. And again, I mean, this is where, you know, Christopher Codwell's book, and that came out in 2020, I believe. So I think that's a huge Overton window shifter is that book alone, because you have something that's very academic, that, but that goes through the history. Because again, I mean, if the news is fake, imagine history. I don't know who said that first, but it is true. Yeah. And we, we've definitely been programmed and MLK day is a representation of how we've been programmed as a society because we're, you know, and he, here's what I put in the article. Cause I wrote an article about Christian post simping MLK. I said, if we judged MLK based on the content of his character, instead of the con the color of his skin, he would not have a holiday. He would not be a celebrated figure. But we instead judge him by the co the color of his skin and not the content of his character. And keep in mind, in 20 years, are we going to have Republicans saying you got to you got to celebrate Juneteenth? We have that now. I mean, uh, yeah. Donald Trump's the guy you signed into law, if I recall. Uh, no, I think it was Biden. It was after. No, it went. It was in 20 under Biden. I thought it was 2021, but yeah. Yeah, but Trump signed it after June, right? But yeah, Juneteenth is a fake holiday because yeah, it wasn't the end of slavery in the United States. That Republican. It was the end passed. of slavery in Texas. It wasn't. There's it a was difference. Just, isn't just the reading of a declaration in a, in a particular town. It's but a holiday yeah. for Texas. It's not a holiday for the rest of the United States because it's not the end of slavery in the rest of the United States. But yeah, we're gonna have. To, I mean, again, it's just just as the whole MLK. Uh, lionization we also have this juneteenth lionization that we gotta it's nip just, one and we gotta nip them both in the butt really but. well they couldn't get kwanzaa to catch on yeah. it's eight days or six days or whatever so it's too long for people to really devote celebration to so they instead did juneteenth and it's kwanzaa in june summer kwanzaa so that, that's basically what it became instead of a niche texas holiday and his reaction to it, uh, I've got it here, just a moment. Uh, his reaction to it is sort of, is, it's interesting. So first of all, in 67, uh, spring of 67, a few months before is when he delivers the line, a riot is the language of the unheard, which we heard over and over again in 2020. That we did. Uh, and then when he, the Newark riots happen, it goes for like a week. Them, it right? goes for about a week. And his advisor, uh, the communist guy, uh, who was with the Communist Party USA, he's telling King, you've got to say something to condemn this. And King says he, he doesn't want to do it because he says, I don't want to deliver a condemnation without also condemning the causes that lead to riots. That sounds like, like BLM. Just, yeah. That sounds like me on January 6th. Yeah, he can't just denounce I, I rioting. Want, I want everyone to understand. Imagine what happened during 2020 with even more murdering and imagine how, just remember how angry we got when CNN called it mostly peaceful. Exactly. And, and this then, is one of the reasons why MLK's numbers went down towards the end of his life. Exactly. And so later that summer in 67, the Detroit riot, even worse, really bad. And then three weeks after this, he gives a speech at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference annual convention. And he quotes Victor Hugo, the author of Les Miserables, who says, if the soul is left in darkness, sins will be committed. The guilty one is not he who commits the sin, but he who causes the darkness. So he sort of absolves these rioters of blame for you know destroying a huge amount of the city of Detroit. And people dying. And he says, 
uh, quote, Negroes have committed crimes, but they are derivative crimes. They are born of the greater crimes of the white society. So that's a pretty strong statement. That's, Even that's a pretty, you know, ungodly statement. Again, you're blaming systems for your individual sins. God's not going to hold that standard, by the way. So if he after says, the Civil Rights Act. This is after the Civil Rights Act, after the Voting Rights Act, after the War on Poverty. And, and from after the LBJ. Great Society. And he's still saying that. Okay, Blake, please, please stay right there. Okay. Email us freedom at charliekirk.com. We want your thoughts. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, after our conversation, we talk about the positives. And then we also get into some of the other implications of this. We're a truth sinking show. But I can say declaratively, this guy is not worthy of a national holiday. He is not worthy of godlike status. In fact, I think it's really harmful. What do we have, guys? Rough greens? Well, and keep in mind, part of the reason that white people stopped, I guess, in, I guess, like, you know, at first, okay, you know, they, they wanted civil rights, but obviously a lot of them did not necessarily approve of the, the, the civil rights act as it was legislated because they might've agreed with, okay, yeah, get rid of those Jim Crow laws. We need to like get to get Amer all of America into the modern, into modernity, so to speak. And yeah, those archaic medieval laws need to go away. A lot of Americans probably would universally supported that, especially in the North. But obviously, you know, like the perception of whether riots helped the civil rights movement or hurt the civil rights movement, again, going back to the book, like black people were plurality in favor of riots, helping civil rights movements. White people were like 74% against riots helping the civil rights movement. So the use the use of violence as a proper mechanism. Again, that's why the support for from white people actually in the sympathy of white people from towards black people actually dissipated as the 60s goes on is because of the violence. That and it you know, you're forcing people to care about something that's not really their issue. The biggest issue in the 60s was by far the Vietnam War. And you know, a lot of the segregation fights were regionalized. They're not, you know, someone in California really doesn't care about your segregation issues. Uh, that's what you get out of the movie. Remember the Titans with sunshine, if you remember. So yet whole segments of the country, they didn't really care about this issue, but they're being made to care. They're seeing the riots. Then the riots happen in their neighborhood, like Newark and Detroit. But again, they didn't, this was largely in the South and you have them being made to care when they don't care. And then you see the riots. So they're not going to be super sympathetic. I want to catch up on some chat here. Uh, Innovation HQ asks, have you talked about how MLK accepted the Margaret Sanger award? And I you don't say haven't talked about, haven't, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that uh, to be honest. Wow. And you're telling me for the first time in the famous words of Donald Trump, uh, I am like super not shocked by that, actually. Uh, if MLK uh, conjunction junction says if MLK had lived, he would have ended up as a shill for the Democrats and a grifter, a lot like Jesse Jackson or John Lewis. Bet. So, uh, very true. So, next we have based politics, which is neither based. No, let me just also, also say. Like you get Civil Rights Act in 1964, and then the problem is, as soon as you don't see that your numbers are going up, your quality of life is perceived as improving, 
then you start saying, hey, we have legal equality, but not legal outcome. So then you start pivoting hard into the we need legislated outcome. We need you know quotas. We need you know patronage, and then you get the plantation. It's not enough to have personal responsibility. Yeah, it's know? not enough to have like I guess the enforcement of the so-called rights. So we're gonna move on to based politics, which is not based. Woe to those who call cringe based and base cringe, and that's what this entire thing is about. It's hosted by was it Hannah Cox, I believe, is the uh, woman on here, and then Brad Palumbo. And I gotta say, I find Brad Palumbo's views on underage Instagram booty to be very distasteful, and that's the type of guy that he is. But he wants to lecture the right wing on why we need to be accepting of homosexuals and transvestites. But, you know, he's kind of the problem too. So, uh, that's our groomer pretending to be based. So Hannah Cox is going to talk about how extremists hate MLK now, because again, just having views that would have been normal a hundred years ago is extremist. Or how about during the actual 60s or that without necessarily like the head of a youth organization called turning point usa it's mostly a big trump youth. yeah <laughs> mostly it's funded by really old people who like to hear young people say their beliefs back to them and they have large conferences they're very pro-trump they they say they're you know conservative but they're really just kind of like a trump shill organization and he um Charlie's just a race baiter. He's he's an agitator. He likes to say things that get everybody up in arms and coming after him because that's how he gets more attention and then he gets more money. And would you find that to be a good characterization of Charlie Kirk? I mean, I just described him as the definition of the Everton window, so I would say no. I'd say he's a grifter. I would agree with that. Well, uh, he's not a race baiter. My question is: Is he a grifter or is he a sellout? Because I do think those are two different he, things. He, I'd say he started out as a sellout. But you said he transformed into a grifter. I think he. I would say yeah. I would say he's kind of always been a grifter, but he started out as a sellout. Well, because again, I think he 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 notices things. You know, he he's a noticer. He can't. But obviously, notice, he's like but Matt. He knows where the grift is. But obviously, he's like Matt Walsh, where he notices, but he he can't always say it out loud because he's probably beholden. That's that's why he has to do the whole Winston Churchill triangulating. Yes, but I I don't know if a full on grifter would do that though. Well, I don't know if he knows what he's doing when he did that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if he realized that Winston Churchill made the same argument. Probably doesn't. But uh. Yeah, I mean, these guys are going to call other people grifters. But by the way, Evangelical Dark Web has more subs than this channel does. But they're like affiliated with like the DC Examiner, I want to say. So and maybe as far as podcast ratings go, they're much higher. But I like to think that we got to win on these guys. So I'm going to take it. For some godforsaken reason, conservative donors who the number one thing they'll talk to you about when you when you speak with them is like, we got to do more to reach younger people. We've got to do more to like do youth outreach. And yet they keep giving millions of dollars to this kid who I would argue is one of the biggest turnoffs to young people I could fathomly imagine. Well, like, he's like a meme among young people. He's, he's, yeah. he's kind of a joke. Like they he was meme on his, his forehead show. all the time. He what? <laughs> they make memes out of his forehead being oh. a war mess. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, like, he just does weird stuff. Like, he was on a show a few weeks ago wondering whether or not Taylor Swift had any eggs left. It's like, who even, who talks like this? Like, this is creepy and weird and cringe, but that's who this guy is. So you don't know who he is. You're lucky. We unfortunately come across him all the time. And he decided to spend Martin Luther If you don't know who he is, you're lucky. We come across him all the time. Like, do you know, like, where your standing is in conservative media compared to Charlie Kirk's? And they're trying to like passive aggressively act like he's not a big deal, uh, much bigger deal than he actually is. Like, you know, I don't know who Rush Limbaugh is, or you might not know who Rush Limbaugh is, but you know, in conservative media, we kind of come across him all the time. Like, what? I'm not saying Charlie Kirk is as big as Rush Limbaugh, but yeah, th that that it's like you're punching kind of like, you're punching up but not acknowledging that you're dealing with like a contending maybe not the heavyweight but kind of the same thing i, I know it's like you're okay, punching up without you're trying to compliment your size i i think is what they're trying to do it's like okay this video is ratioed to uh, uh in the in the uh, like dislike category luther king jr holiday bashing martin luther king so i didn't listen to the full podcast i think twitter pretty much sums it up um, so I'll cover what he wrote there. He said, who was MLK? A myth has been created and has grown totally out of control. While he was alive, most people disliked him. Yet today he is the most honored, worshiped, even deified person of the 20th century. Today we are going to tell the truth and explain how this myth was born. Happy Monday. Um, so he then took to his podcast where he announced a campaign against Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and this got immediate backlash from mostly black conservatives I saw, which I appreciate because for the longest time he's been allowed to get away with this notion of like he does all this youth outreach and he can reach people in the black community and he's bringing all these like new demographics into the gop and I, there's no evidence of that whatsoever he had candace owens kind of for a little bit as, as his token like proof and she has no black people in her audience that i've yet to see so anyways um they actually kind of started speaking out and i feel like for a long time a lot of people would not speak out against charlie because they were scared of like turning off his base or turning off his donors but he really seems to have crossed a line because they were immediately pushing back on this. And I, it was widespread. I've got a few of these tweets I'll have you read in just a second. Um, he then took to Twitter to make a, another post where he said, the deification of MLK and his proto-DEI ideology marks the exact moment that the progress of Black America goes sideways. Their cities disintegrate, their families collapse, educational progress stagnates, they become enormously dependent on government support, Crime explodes and 25% of black men are incarcerated by age 25. You will know the tree by its fruit. Brad, uh, I want to pause right there. Full like, 100% true. And keep yeah. in mind, he was, I mean, MLK looked up to a guy named Howard Thurman, who was essentially proto-black liberation theology, just, I guess, on the Protestant side. Because I know liberation theology is generally associated with, like, you know, communist Jesuits. Catholicism. Yeah, <laughs> Jesuits. But yeah, there's black, pro, I call proto-black liberation theology because that's what Howard Thurman believed and that's who MLK looked up to as a pastor. And again, he started a uh, interdenominational church, basically universalist. And if that church is actually still around today. But you see, what Charlie Kirk did is a much, is a huge shift in, you know, again, we said that he re he was emblematic of the Overton window. A uh, huge shift from a few years ago, you know what conservatives would say what the fall of black people was, was the Great Societies Project uh, and cocaine. So invention of cocaine, or sorry, crack, not cocaine. Uh, invention of crack, 
and great societies. Like those would be the two things that are associated. But Charlie Kirk is trying to say that, no, there is ideology that was proto what we see now that destroyed this community, that destroyed this group. This culture was destroyed by an ideology. And it wasn't, you know, white people imposing great society project. It was black people embracing MLK's ideology. Yeah, and including a lot of like his essentially version of Christianity, which is, you know, all about being the underdog, you know, the the poor being set free, the chains being broken, not necessarily, you know, the whole spiritual aspect, you know, with sin. You know, none of that matters. So this is what we got for uh conservative media now. It's like they're trying to defend conservative Prager U level talking points from five years ago. And Prager you U really- also got ratioed on their MLK post. Right. Some of these reactions to these comments he made um, from others online. Yeah. So a woman named Kimberly Clasic says, loving the quote tweets here, black voters considering voting for Trump in November, now changing their minds. Congrats, I guess. This must have been the goal because WTF else could it be? Another person just said, you are a garbage, bigoted human being, in quotes, with a human being. That person was a relative nobody. The first one was Kim Klasik. Yeah, the stripper. The former the stripper. former stripper. Who was exposed by Candace Owens. Uh, her and Candace don't like each other, but I think it's more of a f- catty female thing uh, than it is ideolo- ideology. But she's a, you know, ran for Congress in West Baltimore twice. And stuff like that. Um, uh, Somebody named Sharice Lane tweeted, I wanted to follow up with this by saying that this is why I left his organization. I used to be an ambassador because I thought Charlie Kirk really cared about the black community and opening our eyes to conservatism. In 2020, I quickly realized that was so far from the truth. He and several of his counterparts hate anything having to do with celebrating black culture or black progression. They are, in fact, anti-black. And I realized I did not want to be affiliated with him or anybody with him, so I left for good in 2020. They're absolutely no help to the black conservative movement or the Republican Party, and anybody who even cares an inch about the black community for real for would real. not associate themselves with him. Okay, I got to pause right there because I'm calling fake news on that. No, I don't even know who or what she is. How but much, it, I don't if, know who or what she is. If you go is, back to like, that. That's purely because... They didn't go full bore with the George Floyd narrative. Yeah, that that I mean, there's no said, way it's anything. You said 2020, that. so that kind of gives it away. But I mean, if you remember, the Groyper Wars were 2019, right? And everyone, yeah, Kirk everyone Kirk plays that that clip of Charlie Kirk and Rob Smith, who's the token gay black conservative who defends transgenders. Um, and it's the you know how does you know butt sex win a culture war? Everyone plays that clip, and a lot of people were playing that clip like last year. Just like, whoa, come on, that's 2019. They want their videos back. That's why I didn't. Yeah, that's why I didn't join a lot of the conservative or Christian people too that were doing that. Like, I, I'm pretty current on the Charlie when calling out Charlie Kirk, or you know, giving him a bone every now and then because I don't know if he's, you know, I, I've called him out for his idolatry and stuff like that. But uh, I, I will give him props on the MLK thing because that is a significant shift for conservative media. I don't. But that's also why he's around it. He shifted towards the Christian nationalism with the TPUSA. Poorly, team. but Poorly, yes. yes, and more in the charismatic bent. I might also add. 
And he's still having James Lindsay speak at his conferences. That's pretty gay. But yeah, I, I 100% think that that person's objection had to do with George Floyd. George Floyd. 100%. Book it. Or Kyle Rittenhouse. Possibly. But he didn't kill black people. He well, killed white communists. Not according to the media. He, he killed uh, a gay pedophile, right? According so. to the media, that pedophile was black. Johnson, who's a pretty well-known black conservative, said Charlie Kirk and his ilk are why black conservatives can't fight black Democrats. Y'all are a direct threat to black America. We can't leave you unattended for a minute. <laughs> um, so I want to I want to go back to his second tweet, though, because not only is this, I think, racist on its face, but it's completely asshat backwards. Like he's not wrong about some of the trajectory of the black community beginning in the 1960s and 1970s. And but he's completely wrong about why that occurred, right? So he like talked blaming about how, it on MLK. Like he's bl and I want to be clear: what he's actually blaming it on is MLK's achievements, which would be the Civil Rights Act. All right. <laughs> Basically, saying that things were good under Jim Crow, and if it weren't for damn Martin Luther King Jr., none of these things would have happened. Which well, is and, and the other interesting thing, the just to make a quick point, is what he calls it MLK's proto-DEI ideology. That means like the pre-DEI or whatever. But what I'm actually going to explain when we talk about the left is that like the new DEI movement, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is in many ways the antithesis of MLK. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, MLK had a colorblind vision for the future and stated that many times. That that's, is the opposite of what most people want under DEI. And look, I am not here to simp for Martin Luther King Jr. He was a really? very flawed yeah, a Like, this is what they're trying to promote. They they I, believe that MLK was a champion of meritocracy, and that's simply I mean, yeah, not the it's, case. It's simply not true. I mean, this is what we call the Patrick's wallet, where you know you, it doesn't matter how many MLK quotes that you throw at them, and the fact that you can talk about what MLK actually believed in like 1966, 67, 68. And at the end of the at the end of the meme, they're gonna go, "I have a dream." Yeah, they're just gonna. Throwback. I have. Yeah, we all know that he gave the "I have a dream" speech. The question is, can you consider the that fact was in that 1963, he actually, right? Yeah, 63. But 64, one of those years. Can you actually consider for a moment that he said and believed other things, and that maybe that speech was just, in fact, a speech and not a representation of what he actually believed? But no one wants to consider that. Or now people are starting to consider that, but these and the fact is, she actually says that oh, all that stuff started in the '60s. Well, who was alive for the majority of that decade, and who was very influential? Character, a flawed individual. He was a socialist. He was. He did not share many of my views. So, a socialist, but you're treating him like a champion of colorblind theology, uh, colorblind ideology, and you acknowledge he's a socialist. You do realize that in America, they don't, the Marxist or socialist, whatever you want to call them, they use race to create the proletariat class because people in America aren't starving like they were in, you know, third world countries. So they use race. And she does not have a good pause face. Not as bad as David Platt, pre beard. 
Um, but that being said, he was absolutely right on civil liberties and on um, working to overturn racist Jim Crow laws. And and I've written about this extensively. I've done a whole video on this. I think his tactics for how he achieved that should be studied. I think his philosophy of nonviolence is brilliant and revolutionary and can be replicated today. And not enough people uh, really study what he did during that time. So um, I can, you know, I can hold both of these things to be true. Um, but when Charlie talks about the family's collapse, um, what happened after? Now, it was in the John Doyle video that they would riot and then peacefully pro then switch to peaceful protest when the yeah i mean it's came. basically it's basically the equivalent of you know you hit and run tactics i guess well basically you you commit the personal foul but the referee calls the flag on the other guy for retaliating when the cameras know? are looking yeah when when the, yeah the ref the ref only sees the retaliation they don't see the initial offense and that's basically what and uh, yell them off fast doesn't she mean uh gandhi's philosophy and again is India really better off than they were pre-Gandhi? And I would say no. But they of all the countries I would never want to visit, India's got to be very high on the list. Like, I feel like I would rather visit North Korea than India. You just got to really play it safe and follow the rules in North Korea or you end up in a detention camp for life. But India is kind of like a nasty place by all accounts from everyone that I've ever, you know, heard about it. And then North Korea, they show you the, the clean side, I guess. But yeah, uh, India, yeah, and Gandhi, and who's was also a sexual degenerate, by the way. So maybe there's well, a also uh, he made common this, thread. Then he also, uh, I won't say egg into the whole Islam Hindu split. Yes, he did. So that was, yeah. But, you know, I, I think India would be better off under British rule. No, as would. Everyone. I mean, every I mean, every uh, thing that Britain decolonized yeah, would be better power. off under is under British rule. I mean, can we also just point out the fact that post-apartheid post uh, South Africa Africa's has been a failure? And that's... Yes. The apartheid regime was actually better for black people in South Africa than the ANC has been. And that's right. America. And as it's apparently, you know, out of bounds is extract to make that same point in an American context. Uh, so uh, on my point about British rule, I'm saying that if Britain didn't decolonize, they would be a lot more based. When they embraced decolonization, they lost themselves. They lost the eye of the tiger. They embraced the, you know, degeneracy that followed and the weakness and the effeminacy. No, then they got colonized. Then, yes. When they stopped colonizing, they got colonized by, you know, everything else. And then Hong Kong, of course. Yeah, I mean, literally they gave that back to a country that they didn't even need to. Agree to they didn't even make the agreement with, with the CCP. They made it with the king of China. So... But it made for a good scene in Rush Hour 1. The Civil Rights Act is really important. You had the launch of the war on drugs, which has been used to target black communities and lock up black men in droves. Wow. It broke up the family. You also had the launch of LBJ's war on poverty, which, Brad, as you know, anytime the government launches a war on something, we get more of it. Um, 
property had been very quickly diminishing in this country up until those programs were put into place. And since they were implemented, we have seen it stagnate. That progress has actually stopped because of government expenditures in those areas. And that's because they did a lot of things to grow the welfare state, to make people more dependent on the government, to relieve men and, and women at times too, but mostly men of the duties they had to take care of kids that they created and show up in the homes. They undercut the need for people to have jobs. And so these results. The, I mean, this is just this one. Isn't the only this is a part of uh, incentivizing evil. But why is it that one group of people was incentivized to do evil and abandon their kids more than another group of people? Well, can we just back up on the fact that the, she basically just played the race card with the whole war on drugs imprisoning black people? Again, that's also false. I mean, the whole first step back, no, Trump was foolish for going down that route. And same with every Republican that voted for that bill. And I think it was a Paul Ryan gift. But um, the whole first step act, the premise that, oh, a bunch of black people were incarcerated and the war on drugs, it's like, no. Uh, that was actually one of the best things Biden has done in his life was sponsor the, the crime bill in, in the 90s. And it's a rare Biden W. Yeah, I mean, he actually did something and, good. and a rare, good bipartisan policy in the last 30, 40 Perhaps years. Perhaps the only. In the last 40 years, probably. And then, of course, the whole welfare state. I mean, at the end of the day, who wanted, who voted for that? So, I mean, there's a lack of, I guess, personal responsibility. And then she kind of takes the shot at the men. The men weren't stepping up. No, well, you can, there are plenty of women. That you don't having, want a man to step up. You have no ring on your finger and you're, you're you know, getting the check from the government, even if without being. No, married. and your partner's a finook. So, no, don't talk about you wanting men to step up because you don't even hang, like, what man is going to want to be with a girl who's, you know, partner in business is a homo. It's not happening. So, you know, don't get your man hating out somewhere else on some other subjects. You are not I mean, a keep in mind, there, There's also the, what is it? The Moynihan report, which basically said that the government needs to invest in the black man and build up the black community. And that was the key to success. And, but, you know, LBJ, great society. is just like, no, we need to uh, empower the black woman to, without the black man and break apart the family and yeah the civil rights act did more to help women in the workplace if anything and that in turn did more to destroy the family and the single income household in the united states and which suppressed wages no look the whole women in the workplace thing is the next chapter in age of entitlement i, I haven't gotten there yet i just started I, i'm just saying but what did the civil rights act accomplish that is what it accomplished more so than actual equality between race and skin color. In the black community and in the country at large are the result of terrible government interventions into the market and socialism um, and welfare type programs that they were pushing to expand. So he's to blame Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Act for these things is not only just absurd, it's it's so ignorant of history. Like, I don't know how this person has a platform. I am literally getting dumber just discussing his thoughts. I think it's just edgelording. I just think he wants to be. Everyone basically agrees that MLK, while a flawed person, his basic principles are, are basically universally agreed upon now of like non-discrimination, of 
you know, opposing segregation, of wanting a colorblind. Like I have a dream that one day uh, people will be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Basic, basically, everybody nominally agrees with his uh, most prominent teachings about politics and society. And so he has to... We can agree. We might be able to agree that it's the most prominent teaching that he had, but it's not the most representative teaching that he had. I mean, we're just back to Patrick's wallet. Where he's, right. just gonna, he's just going to keep. I mean, it's again. It I back, have a dream. Yeah, it's like it's almost like dealing with the Jehovah's Witness. They just keep referring back to I have a dream. Okay. Yeah, and then nothing else that he could have believed. He didn't change his views over time. Uh. Yeah, to edgelord and go after it is really, I think, the only explanation. So while we're on this subject. Alrighty. And yeah, he really should not be talking about Charlie Kirk's looks. Can I just end on end him on that note? So that's homo when I say it kind of looks like Rami Malik. Who? Uh he's the guy that played uh uh Bohemian Rhapsody and also on like Mr. Robot. Not necessarily a compliment, but maybe he's got a little Egyptian in him. So is there anything else to cover with MLK? Because I think these two getting wrecked, uh, Charlie Kirk actually being somewhat based and, you know, just the Overton window is shifting on this. And it's going to be an exciting thing to watch next year and the year after that, I think. Well, Um, I mean... You're gonna see. You're gonna start seeing probably more like Chris Rufo types really come against the, the uh, notion of calling out MLK. Actually, no. Chris Rufo actually did make an MLK thing. John Harris, I think, talked about that. But, but that type of conservatism, which is really just neoconservatism, is gonna go hard to. Is gonna go to the mattresses, and you're gonna have like a little bit of a, a an emerging, I guess, civil war or annual civil war on the right between like the paleocons who basically are now going back, going against MLK. And then you have the neocons that are still going to defend MLK. And this is, I guess, again, why, you know, the Republican and conservative movement actually needs to be like, I won't say pro-white, but yes, we need to stop being an anti-white party if we actually want to win. If only. Uh, So, we're going to move on to a new segment and it's called Babylon B breakdown. Oh, Babylon B has been on fire lately. So, this is just one example. This is just one example. And uh, so this was a massive headline. This tweet currently has, let me 15.6 million views. And the headline is Trump promises Vivek an administration position running the white house Seven Eleven absolute banger and you know who's offended by it is uh tim young who's a again one of those christless conservative you know comedians out there he's a comedian apparently but he thought that this joke was offensive and stuff like that like really you call yourself a comedian and you're arguing against a good joke is that is that not that's not just a deadpan joke no it's not a deadpan joke okay I do want to make sure. Wow, I'm honestly shocked. This is absolute. This is an absolute banger by Babylon B, and it works on so many levels. One, it's kind of it, it's kind of saying that Trump is going to stereotype, and you know Vivek is 
you know, the the guy to run the 7-Eleven at the White House because he's Indian. And Trump would totally do something like that, right? So that's one layer of the joke. Another layer of the joke is that Vivek Ramaswamy is, you know, caping up to Trump so much and simping Trump so hard. And then Trump only sees him as a 7-Eleven guy. <laughs> like, you know, quick, you know, a poo from The Simpsons. And then... On top of that, Joe Biden made the comment like however many years ago about 7-Elevens being run by Indians or whatever. So, so many layers to this joke. I I think it was a pretty I mean, even the fact that he's uh, like a mid, mid-level manager, I think is also like a, you know, that's also kind of a you know, I won't say a trope, but you know, they kind of, it, it, it also works on that level. It's not even just like, he's the mid-level manager of a 7-Eleven. But this got some hatred from Big Eva. Uh, Ed Stetzer went after this with his, you know, outlet church leaders. They wrote an article attacking Babylon B for this. And Daniel Darling went after Babylon B for this. He is the guy who wanted churches to administer COVID jabs. So the Babylon B made some pretty good enemies. Oh, they had the short plane article. I don't know if you want to bring that one up. No, no, hey, 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 okay, don't, so don't get ahead of me. I'm not getting but, ahead. Man, that was an absolute like, banger. Yes, this one's, a, this one's a 10 out of 10. Well, this is a 10 out of 10. This is a 10 out of 10. This is this is our segment instead of meme reveal. Like, this is if you're getting roasted at, like, a, a formal roast, which Donald Trump actually did get roasted on comedy. The roast of Dom Donald Trump happened several years ago. Uh, uh, like 10 years by now. So, yeah. This is what Vivek Ramaswamy would get. And then this is the other one. Yes, this one was savage. Absolute another banger out of the Babylon Bee. Uh <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I just read the first comment and I just, it stopped me in my tracks. And this banger from Babylon B, Delta introduces a new short plane for special needs pilots. Absolute uh, wow out of the Babylon B for that one. And then the comment underneath is, and for the visually impaired. <laughs> and it has a blind stick. So... <laughs> That is that. That that's the Babylon Bee this week. Absolutely, I'm sure there's a 9/11 joke in there somewhere about the visibly the blind the blind stick. I'm sure uh, there is. Uh, there should be maybe, uh, but yeah, that was. It's been a pretty good week for Babylon B. I know sometimes they're kind of cringe. Uh, I'm talking about Joel Berry, uh, for the most part. But this was this was a pretty good week for Babylon B. And oh, and then they they're also the only conservative outlet that covered the tunnels underneath the the city. Not the B. No, not that, the B or uh, no, Babylon, Babylon B. B. They, well, they at least gave a satirical article about it, which is more than what the Blaze and Daily Wire did. Uh, I know why. Why did the like they had to do it backhanded? Very backhanded. A very just... important article on tunnels completely gets buried. I don't know. I tried to do a pun. Uh, so, 
I think that concludes our Babylon B breakdown. I'm going to give a last call for questions, but I, I do got to say uh, some breaking or some news from earlier today. Uh, Gavin Orton blocked me on Twitter. So I did the video on him earlier this week and I called out his lie on Josephus and how he said that Josephus, you know, believed in a local flood, which he didn't. But he lied about it using some Jewish scholar to do so. And he didn't like that I called him out for that. He didn't like my uh, quote tweeting him and insulting Tim Keller and his uh, relationship to the Keller Center. And uh, yeah, caught that one. I just think that's funny. I I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on that whole uh, controversy with uh, Gavin Ortland. This is why the whole like defending the flood is very important. Again, I have good respect for like ministries that, that I guess do a lot of the apologetics because we do need good apologetics. And the problem is Ken Ham. The problem is that a lot of our apologetic, like the more I won't say mainline apologetics is a lot of them are very weak. A lot of the YouTube tr- apologetics are extremely liberal. Yes. And they they skew heavily liberal. We I mean we did the article on Frank Turk last month on women pastors it's just like wow you can be so clear and concise on all these other issues but you're you can't actually you know read what the bible literally says and you know we're not even doing like literal versus wooden or we're not even you know what a plain text you know reading of the scripture says yeah it's interesting because you got inspiring philosophy who's pretty cringe anti-christian nationalist won't debate the issue despite the fact that he's a debate me bro and then you have uh cameron bertuzzi also pretty liberal uh fake converting to catholicism i would say he faked it uh when you create an entire twitter account so that people who are interested in your catholic journey can follow that so you know your catholic journey doesn't distract your capturing Christianity Twitter account and then you don't follow up on any content that's Catholic related after you milk the interviews. Yeah, you were lying. He's not really Catholic. Or maybe he realized that the confirmation process is a lot more work than he thought it would be. No, he Catholics are general adult Catholic converts are generally confirmed around Easter. Hmm. So he had it. So it didn't happen. He said it would happen, but it didn't. I I actually wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't actually go to church. Uh, have I been doing research? Uh, so actually, I'll get to that question when yeah, after I'm done on my overarching point about Christian YouTubers. Obviously, Ruslan Katie is kind of a little woke. Uh, Lecrae actually walked back. So last week I did a stream on Lecrae, right? And he's like, all right uh he's it's a like, little worse I'll, than i thought it's a little worse than i thought I'm like dude it was that way the entire time the dude was a transvestite in the music videos try and you're acting like there's something genuine in his faith it's like no there's not he made it very clear that he's just trying to attack christians and uh christian post ran an article about his apology which was super fake by the way and not accepted by the way I want to be clear. He's like, oh, I did the communion thing to kind of break the ice. Like, no, 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 you didn't. You know what you're trying to do. And you even say in your song, you get all the gays hyped. 
So there's nothing biblical about your music, but people who serve the devil will lie and lie with impunity. So it's been an interesting uh, year already for Christian YouTube. So I don't know if you had anything. You're usually the one who gives me the Christian YouTuber stories. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I had like that's why I have the Frank. I'm like you did. You missed Correct. out on the Gavin Ortland one, but you gave me the uh, Alistair Begg story, so it all it totally is worth it. Uh, well, I mean, uh, again, the Gavin Ortland story was bigger on Twitter. So. But I mean, yeah, the defending the flood, and again, these are a lot of times we might consider these yesterday's issues, and I do like uh, what uh, David Harris said about how now the issues on college campuses aren't necessarily flood evolution. It's social issues because at the end of the day, when people just like their sin and will look to an excuse and, you know, with the evolution, it kind of gives them the worldview to excuse away a God that is righteous and essentially excuse away any moral accountability to their actions. It kind of works. Um, and that's that really becomes the real heart of the issue of what they reject about Christianity in general is the moral aspect. They love their sin. They don't, you know, it has nothing to do with whether they genuinely believe that monkeys and, you know, you can prove the evidence all day long about the whole, you know, molecules demand or microbes demand. You can disprove that all day long and the com complexities of abiogenesis. So, I mean, you can apologetic or even the fossil trail or even how the, you know, another argument with the uh, delusion or the flood is the. I mean, just the way the continent, like the continents, the plants, and how the fossil record doesn't necessarily match continental drift. And I could go on. But again, you could get, go through all the different apologetics angles. And, you know, cre creationists have done this. So, I mean, there's generally an answer for every inquiry you have. Now, there might be multiple answers because yes. we don't know. Uh, the we can't affirmatively you know say what exactly happened but we can give possibilities but again if it contradicts scripture at the end of the day that should be rejected so um question came in have you been doing research on alistair Begg? if he has other big errors or compromises uh I've a lot of it has tried. come up since the article was written you have uh, something there are concerns about him being a little side B, him on the issue of egalitarianism. So there's stuff like that that I've seen come up. I mean, I can pull something up, which right now, if you want me to share it. Sure. Um, so. All right. Am I up? Because. Yeah. So this article, this is something I came across in my research. So I don't necessarily think, okay, is this one of the, is this the evidence? If you had to come up with evidence that he was a little weak on the position, I kind of watched it. Like he's defending, like, I guess there's a anti-conversion therapy law that was going on in Scotland. And he came out and supported the pastors that were against the law. All good, right? So, but the actual quote in question is this one right here. Uh, addressing the issue with forcefulness doesn't mean we can't address the issue, address the person with gentleness. Um, there's another, um, I don't know if it's in here or not. Oh. 
Um, of course, uh, activists claim biblical teaching is co coercive, but Calvert puts to beg or puts it to beg that coercion is sinful and does not characterize faithful Christian ministry. So I think these are some evidences that he's a little bit weak. Again, this could well, also his be... response to is he agrees with that. Uh, well, I mean, I think when watching the video, he actually says that coercion itself is sinful, which again, I disagree because the law is itself coercive. I mean, it's almost like people want to be very libertarian with this or like anarcho-capitalist where, you know, it's my property. I can do whatever I want and no one can stop me. But, you know, as soon as, or I guess I'll use the anarcho-capitalism argument where it's just like, you know, everyone's their own island. But again, as soon as you try to say that you can't do something on your own property, even if it's as depraved as uh, murdering your own children, that's what's called a government because they have, they're basically saying that you can't do X on your property. So, right. There, there's a that is the property rights that I don't think a lot of libertarians, but it, you know, grow up and realize again, I don't think libertarianism is biblical. Uh, that's a topic for another day though. But but that in itself, I mean, the existence of laws is is in itself coercion. I mean, we kind of have this whole idea that, oh, you can't bind conscience. You can't uh, legislate morality. You can't bind conscience. People have freedom of conscience. It's really not true. Um, same with the legislate morality. You can't. I mean, there's 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 limitations to conscience. Uh, well, so. yes. But well, it's not saying you can't think something. It's saying that you can't. Well, we're saying that or I'm saying that the argument is you can bind someone's conscience and that a law in it in and of itself does bind conscience. I mean, if you take away, con if you take away theft laws in San Francisco, you get stealing, you get widespread theft caused That's by the same people yet. caused by the same people rioting in the sixties that, you know, are continuing MLK's work. And those people, like if you take away, again, you take away, the fetters on their conscience, they will steal. If you take away the, the laws against murder, people will murder. It, it, it's kind of like the purge where, you know, if you unshackle the laws for a 24 hour period, people would take to it. And yeah. you would have violence. And that's why, again. Now the, the joke in that movie is that every other day of the year would be fine. It's like, no, that's yeah, not I mean, how that human nature works. Jerk, but, uh, so, I mean, we have another question. So, yeah, I mean, it was a statement like this, even though he's orthodox, you can kind of see maybe it's that Scottish liberalism, you know, kind of like a Canadian trying to talk about American politics. They don't quite get it. And that's kind of what I heard in that interview without necessarily seeing him go into like go, go right. over the rails. And last question. Will you do a live stream on the PCA 2024 assembly? Uh did they is, it is live streamable. I don't know if I'll be able to swing it. it it's not as big or glamorous as the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and I don't know the intricacies in the PCA GA as well. And it's, it is a nerdier affair. That's just undeniable. But I can, I can see if it fits. I just don't know the schedule off the top of my head. And I believe last year went on during the Southern Baptist Convention. So, you know, I, I couldn't exactly do it. And it wasn't as exciting last year. Like they didn't get a whole, uh, 
it wasn't as uh, actionable as the couple prior years. So we'll see. But I'm leaning towards no. So that, that'd be my answer in January. All right. But anyway, uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, don't forget to hit the like button on your way out. And like I said in the beginning, uh, you can support our work over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. But the least you can do is like this stream, subscribe to the channel, to the podcast. If you are new, have a blessed night and we will catch you on the next one.